Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast with my partner, Brian Siegla. I am Curtis Wilson. Brian, we've been talking for quite a few months about recruiting, and we have a treat for our listeners tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Evan Watkins joining us from 24-7 Sports, VT Scoop. VTScoop.com, currently offering first month for $1 and 30% off after that, so a great deal for a great site. Evan, how are you this evening? Oh, I can't complain. I can't complain at all. How are you all doing? Doing good, doing good. Nice to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Uh, been a good day for you so far? Yeah, yeah, you know, got to, you know, get up early, break a break a, a likely commitment coming, have it knocked out within, you know, lunchtime and then roll right into uh roll right into some t- some time with the family. So, yeah, it's been a really good day so far. Awesome, man. Awesome. Awesome to hear that, man. And guys, we're going to cover a plethora of topics with Evans today, including the commitment a little earlier today. We're going to hit that a little later, but Brian I want to start out, Evan, with this. You know, big news of this week was Hokie Director of Recruiting, John Etsy, stepped aside. You know, while he was in Blacksburg, um, he took the recruiting staff from very small, especially by Power 5 standards, and now it's kind of growing significantly. And, you know, it's getting bigger. We're seeing people getting added, you know, even during the time of COVID. So, Evan – sort of having the connections to the program, knowing the people, what's going to be sort of the biggest, maybe the toughest part for the next guy to fill what John did and what John brought to the table? Yeah, you know, John was a guy, uh, you know, he actually started uh, when he was a college student. He actually started working at VT Scoop uh, before he was a recruiting director at Virginia Tech. So, you know, we've known him. Uh, for a long time. Uh, he was actually at VT Scoop before I was really that involved with it. Um, you know, and he, uh, he took that, the opportunity from being a student at Virginia Tech to, uh, you know, graduating from Virginia Tech and getting to work in their recruiting uh, department. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys, um, you know, and they have plenty of them up there right now, but it's one thing to sell a university it's another thing to sell your university uh he's all about virginia tech always has been always will be and i think that really helped him um you know end of the day he cared about what was on the shirt he cared about the university that he was at uh you know and he still does uh he obviously he got a uh, business opportunity outside of college football that he really couldn't turn down. Um, you know, we had heard for probably four or five years that uh, other schools were interested in poaching him. Uh, he had opportunities uh, doing some other things at some other places and just never really wanted to leave. Um, but this one was too good of an opportunity to turn down. You know, never want to fault somebody for trying to better them and their family situation. So, you know, I hope everything works out for him. Uh, you know, he he's a guy that has really helped Virginia Tech. He would wake up in the morning and try to figure out what what's the best way to make Virginia Tech football better and, and reach the, uh, the the pinnacle for, you know, what they were trying to do, uh, you know, and, and what he uh, was able to accomplish. Obviously, he did uh, build out that, help build out that recruiting department a little bit 
you know, and I think that's going to continue to to build out. I think, you know, when Justin Fuente spoke a few weeks ago uh, after signing day and said he really could see the future of college football branching off into two separate recruiting departments, a mm-hmm. high school prep JUCO department and a transfer portal department. I think he was foreshadowing what he's expecting Virginia Tech to do. I think we're going to start to see some of that come to fruition. Now, obviously, it's not the easiest of times to hire people right now. Um, yeah. You know, you got an athletic department that's told everybody to take a 10% pay cut. You have budget cuts and, and, and some deficits all over the place due to COVID. We don't know what's going to happen with COVID. We don't know. You know, is this thing going to continue? Will the twenty uh, the twenty twenty one season be impacted? What's the financial impact of it? You have to add in as well. You know, the the carry on of the scholarships for another year. I mean, that's a mm-hmm. big undertaking. Yeah. That's a lot of financial uh, burden. So, you know, I think I think the plan. I think Justin Fuente was foreshadowing the plan. I think John Yetzi. Uh, helped lay out the blueprint for that. Will we see that overnight? No. You know, everybody talks about that there's a, you know, there's some funding that's becoming available. There are some donors that have stepped up to the call. You have a big giving day drive that's going to kick off here in the, in the near future uh, for, for the university and for athletics. But money, money is not where it needs to be. It wasn't before COVID. It probably will take years to recover from COVID. So it's going to be a slower process, but I do fully believe from all the contacts I've talked to from everything I've seen with my own eyes up, uh, up in Blacksburg. I do think that Justin Fuente wants to build out that recruiting department. I think that's part of his goal is to take a lot of the stress and the, 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 the finding of the players uh, of the recruits and the initial contact and, 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 you know, the mundane parts of the recruiting process and and have those jobs staffed by a, a staff of, of uh, qualified individuals that can do all of that. They can filter out the huddle film. They can, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they can uh, coordinate early, uh, you know, early development of the relationship. They can reach out to the kids on social media. They can gather phone phone uh, numbers. They can gather coaching contacts and take some of that off of what we what you know what a lot of Virginia Tech fans or us in the industry would would say falls right now on the coaching staff. There is a. You know, there's a decent group of, of recruiting staff up there in Blacksburg right now. I don't want to say that there's not, but mm-hmm. when you compare, you know, five to six guys with Clemson having 20 plus, yeah. with North Carolina having 20 plus, with Alabama having ungodly amounts of people that filter out recruiting information before it even touches the coach's desks. Absolutely. Uh, you you can yep. see that it is clearly not an even playing field. Uh, and that's the biggest change that I think Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech need to make. Dump money into the recruiting department to take the stress off the coaches. Let, you know, let some qualified, smart individuals that understand the recruiting process and understand the evaluation process get in there and be the filtration system. And I think that's only going to help grow 
uh, Virginia Tech football, their recruiting, their on the field and off the field results. Uh, and, and that would be my first step. And I think we are, I, I like I said, I think we're at the the a little bit of the precipice of seeing that. Mm-hmm. I think it is going to happen. But COVID and, and some other things that have thrown a wrench in outside of Justin Fuente and Whit Babcock's hands uh, have kind of slowed things down just a bit. Sure. And yeah. I like how you itemize kind of what those aspects of the recruiting roles could be, because I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily understand the, the, the those nuances and those small little things that taking that off the plate of someone else and giving that to a qualified person that knows what they're doing, that that's what they do every day when they come into work, how much that could better the situation we have and how that's pretty much the standard across most of these power five um, opponents that we're playing. So, yeah, I like that you you were able to hit on that because that, that I think is kind of a big piece of the puzzle that I don't think a lot of people talk about enough. Yeah. And you know, when you look at recruiting, uh, it's not a nine to five job. You know, even even college football coaching has an off season. There's an off period. There's a time when you can take a little bit of a break from the day to day. You can't do that with recruiting. With recruiting, it is 365 days a year. It is 24 hours a day. You have kids that, uh, you know, when you are uh, recruiting a guy like DJ Harvey, now mm-hmm. you're you're across the country. So now you're time different time zones. When you're recruiting guys like uh, Robert Wooten, like Alec Bryant, now you're in different time zones again in Texas, and you have to balance all of that. When you now there are you know obviously there are time periods where you cannot talk directly with recruits or you can't talk to them face to face and things like that, and yeah. and that's a bit of a break, but you still are talking with their coaches. You're still talking with their trainers. You're still, you know, gathering information on recruits. And then you have to add in, you know, let's say that you are, let's say you're going to sign 25 players in a year. You know, if you're not Stanford, if you're not Clemson, uh, and maybe some of these other very selective schools, we're going to say that you're going to throw out 230 offers. Now, those 230 offers, you can say probably 50 of those to 75 of those, they're completely out of reach for you. These are guys that have no interest in Virginia Tech. These are guys that can't academically go there. These are guys that are blue chip players that you know is an uphill battle. So you can toss those out. But you're still looking, you know, 150, 180 guys that you are recruiting for just that year. Then you multiply that by four. That's how many kids you have to build relationships with on an average. That's how many coaches. That's how many parents. You know, people talk about about recruiting and, you know, you have to, to, to be a great recruiter. You know, you have to be like a used car salesman and you have to be this. You, you really have to be a tireless worker who loves communication. That's okay. really what it comes down to. Uh, if you can, if you're okay in that setting, if you're okay, you know, we, we've talked about this before. Some people bring it up as, you know, uh, trying to pick up a girl at a bar. I, I don't necessarily agree with that <laughs> analogy because if you want to go and pick up a girl at a bar, that, that, you know, that's, that's your initial conversation. That's yeah. cool. We're talking about yeah. an engagement. You want to talk to this person. 
You want to get them to be engaged with you. You want to get them on campus and marry you and live with you for four to five years. And then you have to do that for 25 other kids, 24 other kids. You have to get them to make the same deal with you every year. Like it's one of those things people put recruiting black and white when really recruiting is, is probably the most fluid thing in the world. Add on top of it, you're dealing with 16 to 19 year old children. They change their mind over what to eat. They change their mind over what to wear. They change their mind over, you know, what they want to do after school. Talking to them about where you want to spend four years, five years, is not the easiest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And then you have to add in the, you know, they might even commit to you. And that's great. Now you have to keep them committed, you know, until, until they sign that national letter of intent. And even then, like we've seen in the past, you know, like Zach Evans, uh, you sign a national letter of intent and then you back out of it. Yeah. So really, I mean, recruiting's a marathon and everybody wants it to be a sprint. I want it to be a sprint. It would make my job easier, but it's a marathon. <laughs> you, have it is. To, you have to cultivate these relationships for years. And then, you know, you get them on campus, you got to keep them happy because if not, they'll hit the transfer portal. They might even badmouth you on the way out, and then you lose any shot at kids that they're they're friends with, any kids that are at their high school. You make their high school coaches mad. I mean, you know, we had we we had this long discussion on VT Scoop, uh, you know, a couple for the past couple of weeks mm-hmm. with Daryl Taft leaving Virginia Tech to go to the NFL. I don't blame him at all. He's got the absolute one hundred percent best personality for recruiting but who wants that job i mean who wants their livelihood to depend on the the uh decision making of 16 to 19 year old kids that you know may you may you may pour years and years into them and then somebody else comes along with a better pitch better school better academics a better off the field life and, and can steal them from you at the last minute. I mean, just think rationally about it. It is a tough, tough profession, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's not for everyone. I'll, no. uh, I'll tell you that. But it's a, uh, you know, going back to, what, what, to, to Virginia Tech, if you take, you know, all those relationships you have to cultivate and you say, hey, we're going to throw that on these 10 assistant coaches and Justin Fuente, they don't have time. Yeah. No uh-huh. college coach has time. That's why we have seen support staffs grow year in and year out. They're growing exponentially at every school. Uh, you know, even your schools like Old Dominion have them. Even your FCS schools, James Madison, is building out recruiting departments. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs recruiting departments. Virginia Tech has a recruiting department. Now they need to beef it up. They need to pour some money into it, take a lot of this pressure off of the 10 assistants and Justin Fuente and you know, hit the ground, uh, you know, hit, hit the pavement hard, hit the pavement fast and see, uh, you know, kind of see what shakes out when you cast that really wide net. Then you filter it out to your core board of, of recruits you want and let sure. the coaches go out and try to feast. 
Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up TAP because, I mean, that that's what uh, we had talked about the same thing and really kind of reiterated what you said is that, you know, it, it's a guy going to a similar type role with an NFL organization, wants to win a title, and he doesn't have to recruit. I mean, that that's a, that's a big part of what he's been doing day to day in the last, you know, year plus yeah. that now he's not even, it's not even on his plate anymore. So, and l- let me go ahead and piggyback off that. So, you know, with, with Daryl Tapp leaving, we got JC Price now coming in and on top of replacing him as the um, co-defensive line coach, he's also taking on the, uh, the defensive recruiting uh, coordinator position um, with Adam Lechtenberg uh, taking over that as a, uh, on the offensive side, getting a promotion there. Um, what do you think are some advantages on the recruiting trail with this type of role for these two coaches relative to what the Hokies are trying to do with building that recruiting department up as well? So typically, you know, pre COVID you would have your recruiting coordinators, your, your on the field coaches where one or two would be designated as your recruiting coordinator. And that helps them on the road. You know, it doesn't necessarily help them when they're back in the offices in the war room building out the, the board and, and doing all of that. That helps them on the road, uh, you know, coordinating a, a lot of the stuff. But, uh, you know, when you talk about like a recruiting director, recruiting coordinator, essentially right now under COVID rules, they're kind of the same thing because support staff is allowed to contact recruits, uh, you know, over the phone on social media things like that, um, and coaches aren't allowed to go out on the road. So there's not really that big of a difference. And to me, not really, nothing really is going to change. Uh, you know, Adam Lechtenberg, behind the scenes, has been a phenomenal hire, in my opinion, when it comes to recruiting. He's a guy that's got a lot of contacts, and he's a guy that is a tireless worker. I mean, he's, whenever I talk to uh, you know, some contacts of mine, or I talk to high school coaches, or I even talk to, you know, some of the contacts I have at Ju- the JUCO level. They all talk about how Lechtenberg is a guy. He may not win every recruit, but he is okay. not going to be outworked. So, and I, I want to pre- make sure that people understand that that's not me saying he's going to go out and land every person on his board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's me saying he is going to work as hard as humanly possible to give Virginia Tech the best chance to land that person. Now, there might be somebody out there that can offer more. There might be schools that can offer national championship uh, you know, possibilities, uh, road to the NFL, things like that, that Virginia Tech you know, may not be able to offer at that position. Uh, but he's a tireless, tireless worker. So we, you know, when, when you're back in, in, in Blacksburg and they're back in the war room and they're going over the board, nothing really changes for Adam Lechtenberg. This is the role he already had. He was already doing it. He just didn't have the title of it. Okay. The title was kind of a a pat on the back. Thanks for all the recruiting help that you do. Thanks for everything that you've done for under Justin Fuente. Resume builder. Here's your title. J.C. Price, kind of the same thing. Um, you know, I've I've met J.C. Price a few times uh, when he would come to Virginia Tech for uh, for summer camps. When Mar- you know when they would always invite Marshall to come in and, and mm-hmm. evaluate some kids as well, he was always there. Really, really an energetic guy. My big question when they were replacing Tap was, I, I think JC Price is a great fit. I think he's he, I think he's one hundred percent the 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 right guy to step into that role. But 
would he want to split duties? I thought that that was going to be a hang-up. You know, not everyone wants to share duties. When you get that job, you know, at the school you went to and you want to kind of be the guy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you want to be the guy. You don't really want to to split that role amongst somebody else. So I think this was a great way for Virginia Tech to entice him and say, hey, you might be the assistant D-line coach, but we want you to oversee all of our defensive recruiting. You know, and unofficially, what I had heard was this was kind of what Justin Hamilton was doing. Um, you know, I don't, he didn't have the title of it, but Justin Hamilton had a, a major say in all of the defensive recruiting. Makes sense. The D coordinator should sign off. What this does is take a little bit off of his plate and allow him to spend a little bit more time uh, on focusing on being the defensive coordinator. So, it, you know, when it comes to you know, uh, uh, you know, breaking it down to like the brass tacks of it. Is there going to be a major return on investment by labeling these two guys recruiting coordinators, offensive and defensive? Not that we will see immediately. What mm-hmm. I do think it does is furthers that foundation that I talked about earlier that, you know, I think let's say that the recruiting department does start to split a little bit into JUCO uh, and high school and, and transfer portal and all of that. Now you can take that information and you can filter that into two recruiting coordinators. You can then look at it. Yes, no. And then, you know, kind of send out the hounds to, to do the recruiting uh, and oversee it. And then when you think, you know, you go in that war room and you say, Hey, we need, uh, you know, X number of wide receivers, X numbers of running backs, things like that. You now will have a little bit more buy-in with the 10 assistants. Now, obviously, the the recruiting staff will heavily be involved there as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I I think we're just looking at the foundation. And I've mentioned this before. I I, I tell people all the time, don't get bogged down with titles in college football. Because most of the time, they're meaningless. And and, and I, I don't want that to, like... To, to not to belittle any of the coaches or take anything away from them. Sure. But associate head coach, assistant head coach. I, I mean, you have a head coach. If he goes down, you have your number two. Okay. Like you don't need, <laughs> we don't need three guys with this name. We don't need all of these different, you know, ins and outs and nuances of these names that may or may not coordinate with what you actually do as your job which can then only make it murkier when you go to hire somebody. You know, you go out to hire a director of recruiting, uh, you know, to replace John Yetzi. But when you look at the, the, the actual job duties of maybe what Mike, Mark Dighthorn does, that might be more in line with the director of recruiting, where then you might be looking at a director of player personnel to hire, but then you have to do another title switch. And it just gets kind of convoluted and it gets kind of uh confusing so i never try to get bogged down into the titles because i think a lot of those are just resume builders and uh you know reasons to give people additional income you know to give them an additional raise or or a benefit so i I try not to get bogged down on that stuff but i do think what we are seeing right now is the early foundation it might take years honestly with covid and everything and financial uh, issues, but I think we're seeing the foundation being laid for Virginia Tech splitting out their recruiting duties, and I don't think it can hurt. I think it can only help from here. 
Okay, so so what you're saying essentially is that we got the roles, the roles there, but the the structure behind the scenes matter a whole lot more than the titles that are being thrown at these coaches at this point. Absolutely, I, I you know when you when you get down into the titles, it's every school calls them different things. All the job duties are different, uh, regardless of what the title is. You know when it comes down to support staff and it comes down to recruiting staff, you know there only is uh, you know there's a very defined structure for that organization uh or or that that branch if you will of the the football staff at any school you know they all do about the same thing titles are all different you know but when you when you think about uh you know what their actual job duties are day to day i try not to get bogged down in the uh in the in the zeros and ones of the job title more is what they're going to bring to the table and what they do for the university. Well, Evan, you know, John's gone. Where do you see them going? What kind of skill sets are they going to bring in to take essentially his role or if they retitle it director of player personnel? I mean, are they going to bring in someone off one of these larger staffs for an upgrade or are they going to look for a more established individual? You know, I'm not sure which direction they're going to go in yet. I do know, uh, or I've heard that they've been doing uh, several interviews, several rounds of interviews with some different, for some different positions in the recruiting staff, because it's not just his position that's open. There are some others uh, as well. So, uh, you know, when you look at what Virginia Tech has brought in on their off the field roles, you know, for their support staff, they brought in, you know, Jerangu Veo Winslow, you bring in Corey Fuller. Uh, you know, you you already have you know Pearson Prelude off the off the field as well. It, it seems to me when you brought in they brought in you know Mark, Mark Dyhorn, Obviously, he went to Virginia Tech as well. Uh, you have a lot of Virginia Tech alumni there, and I think, like I mentioned earlier, it's a difference in selling a university and selling your university. I think they have yep. to look for somebody that has ties to Virginia Tech. Now, that could be somebody at another school, uh, obviously. It could be somebody that, you know, maybe comes up through uh, the grad assistant program that's been at Virginia Tech a few years and they want to promote. Uh, but, you know, I think it's going to be somebody uh, – I think it needs to be people with ties to Blacksburg and to Virginia Tech. You know, I think uh, I think that there is something special about Blacksburg. But I think that there's something that makes it so, – there's, there's some skewed, something skewed about it for some people. Some people don't like it. Some people love it. Uh, and I think if you can have somebody that has lived it and somebody that has uh, you know, been immersed in it from a student aspect, uh, you know, maybe, maybe even not even a student aspect, but growing up, you know, going into the Lane Stadium and going to the games and, and things like that. I think that you can sell it a little bit better. Um, mm-hmm. And I think if you're Virginia Tech, I think that's where you kind of hone in on. You know, you you have the history of brothers. You have, you know, a solid history of walk-ons. You have this family environment you've built this brand on uh, from, you know, from Frank Beamer and, and carried on to, Justin Fuente and I think you have to fully lean in on that you know if you bring in somebody off the streets uh, you know they might have a lot of really good ideas you know you might bring in somebody from Alabama and they've got they've got great ideas on how to do this 
but financially it may not be possible or mm. within the constraints of Blacksburg, it may not be possible or within the AD structure, it may not be possible. So I think finding somebody that understands, uh, you know, Southwest Virginia, understands the state of Virginia, the importance of recruiting this state has connections, uh, you know, throughout the state, not just the hotbeds, um, but be able to cultivate relationships throughout the state. You know, that's where I'm looking. I'm looking for somebody that can that can sell Virginia Tech for what it is okay. and has those connections to try and help keep people uh, from the state of Virginia, from, keep them from leaving and, and, you know, convince them to look at look uh, at what's going on in Blacksburg. Okay. It's like selling a product that you've used versus selling a product that you're just getting paid to sell. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it, it's everybody always says, you know, when you walk into a high school, it matters what's on your shirt. Uh, but it, it really matters if you believe what's on your shirt. You know, that's the big thing. If you can believe in it, uh, you know, you can, uh, you, you can sell it really, really well. You know, that's not to say there's not really good, you know, car salesman could go from Ford to Toyota and sell just as well because he's selling a good product, you know, however way you look, you look at it. But, you know, if you are a, a person that has, you know, grown up in it, been immersed in it and fully believe in it, uh, you know, and, and believe in what it can be, uh, I think that you can only help yourself. I don't think you can hurt yourself at all in that situation. So, uh, you know, I think uh, I think Virginia Tech would be smart to try and find some more alumni or former players to come into that recruiting staff role and try to uh, try to not only build their career towards towards working in the college football or working in the professional ranks, but also cultivate relationships in the state and show that it is a family and uh, you know everybody's welcome back and you know why you should join the the brotherhood. Awesome, well, I like that. So let's let's go ahead and pivot here. We're going to talk uh, talk COVID a little bit because I know that's created a lot of unique challenges for recruiting. Um, so, you know, we know the dead period in the high schools. You know, for a long time, weren't even letting folks come on campus and things like that. And I know we came down today that we're talking even more about potentially extending the dead period even further. Um, but I just want to get your perspective on what some of the other challenges that COVID presented on the recruiting side of things. Yeah, you know, and here I can throw I throw a couple numbers out at you because twenty four seven sports ran a really good article on this recently that FBS college football teams signed more than four hundred fewer recruits to scholarships in twenty twenty one than they did for twenty 2020 twenty and twenty nineteen. Holy cow! So that that is fairly eye opening, I would say. Now twenty twenty two might be worse. And that's, you know, that's where things can start to get a little scary. But we'll start, we'll start with 2021. So when you're in 2021, when you're, you know, when you're trying to, to recruit 2021 and COVID hits, you are, if you were not one of the top, we'll, we'll estimate, we'll round to 400. If you were not one of the top 400 players in this, in the country, your rankings may not matter kind of at all, to be honest, because the big ranking periods for you outside that top 400 would be junior film eval, spring workouts, summer camps, senior season. Now you look at players in the state of Virginia. They had, they had, they had their junior season. 
and no spring football, no spring workouts at all. You have no summer camps at all. You have no senior season before signing day. Three out of the four ranking opportunities you had are gone. Now, that also means three out of the four major scholarship opportunities you had are now gone as well. So you, you, not, only, you not only could be somebody that falls through the cracks, you are also somebody that even if a school takes a chance on you, that school is taking a major risk by offering you a scholarship if you haven't played football in a year. They haven't seen you. They no. haven't seen you on campus to see, are you really 6'4 or are you 6'1? Are you really 220 pounds? Or are you really 180 pounds? You know, they can't get you at a camp to say, you say you ran a 4'4 four, four, and we clocked you at a 4'9. So you're taking a major risk by offering those scholarships. Now, on top of that, what you have to balance out and a lot of college coaches did balance this out, is do we take that risk on a borderline recruit? We're not talking the five-star. We're talking the, the mid-three-star guy that may or may not pan out. Or do we hit the transfer portal? Because the transfer portal has you know a lot of talent in it of guys who have verified heights and weights, have verified game, Uh, game film for most of them, or at least college practice film. And these are guys that won't tie up a scholarship for five years if they don't pan out. These are guys that you could tie up a scholarship for one, two, three years. And then when all of this maybe starts to normalize, then you go back and you recruit backfill that position, you back recruit that number. Uh, So, you know, when you, when you look at it throughout that way, if you are not a top of the board guy, for most schools, you run the risk or ran the risk of not having an opportunity to play at the level you wanted to play at. You may have to drop down a level uh, or you may maybe didn't get a chance to, to sign with anybody yet because even when you think of dropping down a level, some of those schools, you know, Texas State is a, is a great example. I know they're not regional to us, but they're a great example that they looked at this year and said, you know, they, they kind of just said, screw it. You know, zero. we can't, took no we, took, we took zero, they took zero high school kids and only recruited the transfer portal. But you know what that does also for them that, that some people may not even think of when they hear that, they think that's ridiculous. But what they did is they just postponed a year because, yeah. you know, what we're looking at now, you know, looking at that with 2021, COVID aside, you know, let's say COVID ends today and life goes back to normal and the dead period ends and everything cool, everything's good. The NCAA extended scholarship limits for the 2021 season for players to hold over. You know, seniors can get a chance to play again, down to freshmen, getting their freshman year back. Okay, that's great. So we extend that out. You know, theoretically, you could have 25 senior scholarship seniors. Most people don't. You theoretically could. Yeah. What that gives you 110 scholarships. Theoretically, for 20 for this year. But after this year, you have to be at 85 scholarships starting next year. How do you get there? 
you know, I talked to, I talked to one of our, I talked to one of our guys in the industry today, you know, one of our national guys with 24 seven sports. And he, I told him, I said, you know, I think it's crazy. Uh, the NCAA needs to do something, you know, in my opinion, they need to extend it not as far, but extend it a little bit. Um, and I was like, Virginia tech, for example, you know, I ran an article two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, Virginia tech has roughly eight scholarships open right now for 2022. Now, that will obviously expand. We all know that. That eight is going to grow 15, 17, maybe even up to 20 with attrition and transfer portal and things like that. But just for today, about eight. And he said, there are teams out there right now that are negative. There are teams wow. out there right now that have to lose players on scholarship today to sign anyone in 2022. So... You know, when we look at this and we say, oh, they signed 400 less people this year in 2021 due to COVID, and that's terrible. I could see it ex exponentially larger in 2022 because okay. college, college programs don't have the space. Yeah. So what, one of two things will have to happen. You are going to have to see massive attrition. And nobody likes to talk about attrition. Attrition mm -hmm. isn't always bad. Players entering the portal is not always bad. I think, you know, Virginia Tech fans uh, in, in particular, especially what has happened over the last few years and some of the guys leaving, think people leaving the transfer, transfer portal is a major problem. But you have to look at it multiple ways. Some people leave the transfer portal because they're unhappy. Some people leave the transfer portal because they want more playing time or a better opportunity. Some people leave the transfer portal or leave, leave by the transfer portal uh, just simply because of academics or an off the field issue. Uh, some people will leave to be closer to home. Some people decide nobody really wants to talk about are asked to leave. The, that people act like that doesn't happen. That happens. People are asked to leave. Your scholarship may not be retained. If it is retained, you may not see the field. You may not play. It may be worth it for you to find an opportunity elsewhere. Um, and, you know, a lot of uh, that, that happens everywhere. Now you're going to add in on top of that moving forward, the scholarship number crunch that every school is dealing with. Uh, we have to free up space somehow. Yeah, You're going to deal with uh, the money of it. You know, I heard, uh, you know, every, uh, what is it? Every 10 scholarships, every 10 scholarships is roughly a million dollars. So, wow. you know, if you're carrying over a lot of scholarships, you're carrying over a lot of money. So some schools are saying, hey, we know the NCAA said you can carry over and go over 85 this year, but we can't afford it. So we're not doing it. So, you know, some of those players may have to find other homes. And then we're going to add the, the, the colossal mess that I foresee coming of players entering the transfer portal because we were a 2021 signee. We never saw the coaches face-to-face. -face. We never stepped foot on campus before we signed, and we hate it here. We're in a bad mm -hmm. situation. We're going to see that become very apparent, and I think it will be very apparent very quickly. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of freshmen all over the country start to enter the portal after getting on campus and being there for a few months and realizing you know, maybe what I was sold in recruiting isn't reality. Um, you know, Maybe... Uh, you know, I thought I was coming into this, uh, you know, great opportunity. Uh, you know, I thought I, maybe I was going to be 
a guy that had a shot at early playing time to find out that I'm fourth team on the depth chart when I get here. Maybe I'm a guy who never realized how small this campus is or how big this campus is or how far away from home it is. You know, what do I do? They, you know, and I have to live on campus for a year and they tell me I can't have a car and how do I, you know, how do I do it? Typical college, you know, things that you have to learn and adjust when you get there. Um, and I think we're going to see that fairly quickly because un- unjustly, the NCAA kind of forced the hand of recruits to sign sight unseen for the majority of them. And I think a lot of colleges took advantage of that and said, hey, if you don't sign with us or you don't commit to us now, you're not going to have a spot. You know, mm-hmm. nobody else, other schools may not take you lock in your spot now. Uh, and they may not be in love with the choice that they made. So, uh, you know, all in all, 2021 was not beneficial for either the college staff or the recruits. There was there's a lot of risk on both sides. And unfortunately, in 2022, I think that we are going to see uh, just more of the same. And I think we're going to see more players left out that either have to go, drop down a level, maybe have to go prep school or JUCO. Uh, or maybe you're out of football altogether because the scholarship numbers are not going to be available nationwide. Well, you're combining the scholarship numbers being low with no junior tape and potentially limited even senior tape, depending on how the next uh, few months start to shake out, you know, ahead of uh, signing day uh, later this year. So it's definitely going to be a big, big problem. I I feel like it's definitely hurt the, those high school recruits the, the most, especially those ones that need that, they aren't in that top 400 like you were talking about and need that junior tape, need those camps, need that senior tape. Absolutely. If you, you know, looking at like some of the guys that Virginia Tech has signed, now obviously, you know, you have <clears throat> in the past, you know, guys like, you know, a guy like a Kendall Fuller. He was obviously one of those top 100 guys. He would be fine in this situation. But look at guys like Reggie Floyd. Uh, Greg Stroman, mm-hmm. both of those guys were great players. They had to camp to get their offers at Virginia Tech. Um, you know, you see a lot of uh, a Christian Darisau. He had to camp. Uh, he wouldn't have been okay in this situation. You know, he was a lower-ranked guy. Silas Danzi, another one, wouldn't have been okay in this situation. You know, So you have to look at it and think, you know, while while you want to sign the majority of your class to be highly ranked guys and in that top 400, you also want to have be able to develop some of these players and mine some of these players and find them at a camp setting or or in a in a spring workout where you can go walk through their their weight room and see you know how strong are they what are they doing when they don't think you're looking uh, how do they interact with their teammates what you know you can go into the high school and talk with their guidance counselors you can go talk with their teachers we don't have any of that right now i mean um, and, and going back to kind of what we mentioned earlier with with uh, with Daryl Tapp, kind of crazy to think that Daryl Tapp was a good recruiter at Virginia Tech and never once stepped foot off campus. I mean, no. he he, no. Wasn't, he wasn't able to. He couldn't go into high schools. He couldn't go into homes. He couldn't do any of that. I think they only had two official visit weekends, and, and then maybe you know they had the the midnight madness and and maybe a couple mm-hmm. other junior days on campus, but. Other than that, this, the staffs haven't seen recruits in almost a year. You know, they haven't seen anybody in person 
in almost a year. And if this thing keeps continuing out, you know, it's, it's so much risk that I can see a lot of college coaches saying we need to, we need to oversign in the portal and undersign at high school. And we'll figure this out and get back to recruiting high school once all of the numbers and the money shake out here in the next few years. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Evan, um, just strictly from the Hokie perspective, do you think the COVID type recruiting was positive or negative compared to other P5 schools based on, I mean, on a lot of that information that you've been giving us in the last few minutes here? You know, I think, uh, I think there are pros and cons and that's for every school, but I think for Virginia tech in, in particular, I think the Hokies do a very good job of early evaluations. So, you know, that, and, and what, what I mean by that is I think that they have a way of evaluating kids in ninth and 10th grade and realizing these guys are going to be good football players. Um, now they might, they might be a hundred percent right, you know, and think, Hey, this guy's going to be a good football player. And every other school in the country thinks the exact same thing. And then that player <laughs> becomes a good, you know, four or five star kid goes to <laughs> Ohio state, goes to Alabama, whatever. Um, but, you know, I think they are really, really good at that. I think uh, Frank Beamer's staff was really good at it. I think Justin Fuente's staff is really good at it. Um, you know, evaluating kids early, getting those relationships early, uh, and just cultivating those. And you look at the guys that they signed, um, you know, in the, especially in the state of Virginia, uh, a lot of them already had ties to the school via, you know, maybe a brother, friends that went there or being able to work out at camps and kids that Virginia Tech had seen in person. The, now, maybe they hadn't seen them in person this year as a senior, but they saw them in person at some point in time during their career. They know and know the coaches well. They trust the coaches well, the coaches and the trainers in the state. Uh, and I think that they, uh, you know, I think that this may have forced their hand a little bit. I do think that uh, last year, the 2020 year, was an anomaly with in-state recruiting. But I think that this forced Justin Fuente and his staff to really sit down and say, hey, you know, we can we can exhaust these resources in other states, but we need to exhaust our resources in Virginia because we've seen these kids and some other schools haven't. We know what these kids can be. Other schools may not. Uh, and, and you really need to build that in-state recruiting. So I think they took advantage of no fall football for, uh, you know, for the state of Virginia. I think they took advantage of COVID and got some of these kids in state to lock in a commitment really early uh, and stay committed. Now on the other, you know, on the downside of that, well, I'll say one other, one other positive is if they got these kids on campus, regardless of where they came from, if you were on, if you visited Virginia Tech before and then COVID hits and you don't get a chance to visit Clemson, you don't get a chance to visit Ohio State, Alabama, you can maybe be able to ride off of, you saw us in person, you know what we have, you walked our campus, you know, come, come, come be a Hokie as opposed to what you've seen virtually elsewhere. Um, you know, I've, uh, another thing that I think Virginia Tech and every school did, I think we'll see moving forward, is this fully forced adaptation of technology. You know, virtual yeah. visits are massive now, um, you know, and I, and I think they only make sense. You know, you know how many times we have, uh, you know, written stories about players that 
are, are planning to visit for a junior day or are planning to visit for a summer visit or a, or a fall game and their ride falls through. Something happens in the last minute and they can't make it to campus. Those excuses can start getting smaller and smaller now because you can say, hey, you didn't get to make it up on Saturday. Here's a virtual visit. We're going to do one-on-one for you and your family. You never even have to leave your house. Just give me an hour of your time. It's yeah. going to open that door up to uh, to some more some more things and showing off some more uh, aspects. And you can control it a little bit more that way as well. You know, if you know somebody is really interested in the engineering department, you can you can walk over and show them the ins and outs of everything while they're sitting in their living room. Uh, and you can control, you know, hey, after that, here's, you know, Main Street, because we know you're interested in all the places to eat. Uh, and here's, you know, we'll walk you back into the facilities and show them, you know, the new upgrades that have been made and the construction that's going on. You can control that a little bit more when you get, you know, when you get a kid on campus, they come in, they take their tour, they leave, they can kind of do what they want, see what they want and all of that. If it's virtual, you basically have uh, the full control of the narrative there. And I think, you know, every school is adapting to that well. I think Virginia Tech did adapt to the virtual environment well. Uh, over the last year now obviously the cons are you can't get kids on campus for 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 virginia tech i think frank beamer's big thing was always get them on campus and you give yourself a shot and i think that's still true i think like i said earlier i think that there is something about blacksburg and there's something about virginia tech i've been to a lot of campuses covering football games uh and i think virginia tech ranks up there with some of the nicest i've been to um and i think if you can get there and you can you can see everything you know, I do think that it's one of those schools that kind of sticks out in your mind and, and kids will remember it. Uh, so I think that hurts. Um, obviously, not being able to get uh, get get recruits into Lane Stadium, walk through the tunnel, hear Inner Sandman, uh, you know, feel the stadium shake. I think that hurts Virginia Tech a little bit. Um, and, you know, obviously not being able to have your coaches face to face with anybody. You know, we've We've talked about it, you know, guys like Justin Hamilton, they're, they're, he's got a really, uh, you know, positive personality. Uh, you know, Ryan Smith has the same. Uh, Adam Lechtenberg, you know, cutting that same mold. And, and these guys are doing all they can over the phone, uh, you know, and over Skype and over FaceTime. But you know as well as I do, it's not the same. You know, if you're not sitting face-to-face with somebody, it's not the same. Nope. Uh, so I think these are guys that you want to get out and get them on the road and get them in front of in front of recruits as soon as possible. So I think that did hurt. Now, uh, you know, I think the the playing field was was fairly even for everyone. You know, regardless, some people got a little bit of spring football, some people didn't. Some got some high schools got to play in the fall. Some states played in the fall. Some people didn't. Coaches weren't allowed to get on the, out on the road, uh, so that was kind of a difference. And you know, you don't have uh senior football film to review before signing day so you know that's obviously a con but in the in the whole scheme of things i think this threw a wrench at every school in the country i think virginia tech adapted well i think they shifted their focus well to the state of virginia guys they thought they could get to help uh build a foundation in the state and then utilize their contacts outside of the state to sign some good football players and like I mentioned earlier, if you're outside that top 400 guys going into the state of or going into your senior year with as many kids didn't get to play their senior senior year with 
zero summer camps. I, I take a lot of that and throw it out the window. You know, if you're a five star, you're a five star. We all okay. can see it. Yeah. But if you're a yeah. if you're a mid three star and a high three star, what's the difference? If you're a low four star, if you know if you're a an eighty seven and a ninety, you know, the difference between a three star and a four star, there's really not that much difference when you when you add in the fact that there was no camps, no spring workouts, and possibly no fall. So, uh, you know, I think Virginia Tech signed some good football players in this class. The rankings won't necessarily reflect it as well as I think it should. Um, but I do think they did well adapting um, in, in this environment that was almost unable to be planned for. Let's let's go ahead and piggyback straight off of that because I feel like you know you hit hit hard on like you know not having the a lot of senior tape for these guys, um, not having really any of the camps. What guys in this class do you think had the biggest potential for that kind of off season bump or that senior season bump if we were operating business as usual? You know, I think in uh, in state, you know, I look at a guy like a, like a Jalen Stroman. I think Jalen Stroman's a very good football player, and I think he was really coming into his own as a junior. Obviously, he has some advantages being Greg's little brother and and some of the guys he works out with and, and trains with. He's got really good size, range, and speed. I think he probably would have been in line for one. Jalen Jones, another 1,000-yard receiver in out of Richmond, now didn't play the best competition in the world. Um but if you can put together back-to-back 1,000-yard receiving years, that's hard to deny, you know, guys like that. Uh, I think Kelly Lawson probably had the most upside. Um, yeah. If Kelly Lawson could camp and had a senior year before signing day, I would not be shocked if he was a four-star by some rankings. I mean, okay. you look at what he's done. You look at his, First, you look at his body, and you think, like, you know, he can play anything. Is he the next Tremaine? Is he the next Amari Barno? You know, we don't really know right now. Uh, but you look at what he does in his workouts. You look at, and, you know, I think he was clocked. Uh, was he clocked at twenty? Was he clocked at twenty six on on one of the one of his training videos? It was it was unreal how fast he was moving on one of the the treadmills that clocks. It wow. was it was it was it, it almost the equivalent of a Caleb Farley. And this guy's got a much different type of body so (laughs) you know i think he's a guy that would have probably uh gone up a little bit in the rankings you know guy like dj harvey i think dj harvey probably would have played his way up if california was playing football in the in the fall um you know i think uh you know one guy i think that was held down and i don't really know why because he was super productive um but i think kenji christian is somebody that also was kind of a victim uh, of, of rankings where I feel like he's probably a four-star talent. I think he's a really good running back. I think he maybe was overlooked a little bit because you're coming from the state of Alabama and you don't have an Auburn offer and you don't have an Alabama offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, LSU, LSU was maybe within hours of offering him before their restrictions hit. Um, you know, this is a guy that he's got, he's an SEC player and, uh, you know, he, he luckily uh, for Virginia Tech, he he didn't get, you know, those three SEC offers that would have been a game changer for him. And and now he's uh, he's headed to Blacksburg. I think he's a guy that a lot of people kind of overlook. Um, you know, I think Christian Moss is an interesting one 
you know, everybody talked about Trey Curry. You remember Trey Curry was committed to Virginia Tech for a little while, four-star. Yeah. Trey yeah. Curry actually transferred to North Cobb for his senior year. They played together, him and Christian Moss. Christian Moss oh. was a better wide receiver. Christian yeah. Moss was, was the top guy at North Cobb. And, and he's a, he's a mid-three-star guy. He's got great size. He's got really good range. Uh, and, and he's just a guy that fell through the COVID cracks. So, you know, I think when you look at it and you go through each of these players, you know, every year I try to look at, at the commits and I think, who is who's a reach? Who's a guy that I can look at right now and say, I don't think they're going to play at Virginia Tech. And when you look down their list right now, there's not a lot of those guys. There are some guys oh, that you say, there's some guys you say, oh, it might take, it might take a year or two, maybe three, maybe, you know, maybe they won't play until they're upperclassmen, but there's not a whole lot you look at and you say, I, I don't see it. I don't know what they're seeing in this guy. I don't see it at all. So, you know, I think when you look at it that way, I think the Hokies, you know, I think they did, they did as well as I think that they probably could under the circumstances uh, of everything going around them, COVID uh, and potentially the hot seat of Justin Fuente. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned it right there and something me and Brian had said probably back in the fall was there were certain guys that were not going to get the bump because they weren't going to get any extra exposure and it sucked. But I got to be a realist as a Hokie fan here. We did get some really good players, but we had some misses. Who do you think were the like one or two biggest misses um, not only from a recruiting perspective, in-state or out-of-state, but just in general, if they had gotten this guy, it would have been kind of that crown jewel in the class. Uh, I mean, it has to be Demetrius Davis. I mean, <laughs> hands down, there's, 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 you know, nothing else. He was the guy. And, and it's, it's sad. I mean, he was, he was locked in, right? Like, he – he was dead set on Virginia Tech. And then when COVID happened and, and, and you know, Auburn used it as an opportunity to get in there and, and, and end up flipping them. I mean, it was – you could feel, you know, covering Virginia Tech's class, you could feel everything shift that day. You know, everyone started to be a little iffy in their commitments, and you could see that things were changing. Um, now, I think I think Virginia Tech did a good job going out and securing a quarterback very quickly after and trying to rebuild the class. Um, but had they had they signed Davis, um, you know, I think he would have been the quarterback of the future. And I think that he would have brought a lot of his friends from Texas with him. And and, you know, there's there's a lot to be said when you sign a highly ranked quarterback or when you have a highly ranked quarterback committed, it opens eyes to players across the country that, that may want to play uh, that want, may want to play for you because they want to play with that guy. So, you know, he has to be the biggest miss uh, of the year for, uh, for Virginia tech when they lost him to Auburn. Yeah, that, that um, one definitely was, uh, was a big hit. It felt like the wind uh, was out of the sails a little bit there for, uh, for the cycle. I think the Hokies did a pretty decent job of, recovering but losing that high profile player you didn't get that forward momentum for the rest of the cycle that you probably would have gotten if he had stayed in the boat um i want to ask you this though um of the guys in the 21 cycle i know you hit on it just a little bit earlier but i just want to get a little bit more more in depth here any immediate impact guys in this 21 class or are most of these guys going to need a year or two to kind of marinate before they're ready to make a big impact 
Yeah, I think there's a few that can play early. Obviously, I mentioned DJ Harvey earlier. I think he's probably an easy one to look at and say he can probably work his way uh, into the rotation somewhere. You know, will he be a starting corner? Probably not. But could he be a, a, a second team corner? Could he be a punt returner guy like that? Uh, you know, I think that he has an opportunity to uh, to get on the field next year. Um, you know, one that I look at that maybe was a little overlooked in the recruiting process, Dwayne Lofton. I'm a big fan of Dwayne Lofton, and I think he is what Virginia Tech could use right away in the slot, especially if they want to continue Tavion Robinson playing outside. Uh, you know, Raheem Blackshear can play in the slot as well, but I think – you know, Dwayne Lofton's one of those guys uh, from down in Texas that has just has big play potential written all over him. I think he's a really, really uh, talented football player. I tell you, I've heard a lot of positives about Issei Atuda out of Virginia Beach. Uh, you know, obviously, I think he, I think he's probably a year away. Uh, he's got to put on some weight to uh, to play linebacker at the P5 level, but tireless worker, great frame, high football IQ. I think he's a guy um, that can definitely play fairly early in his career uh you know and i really i'm a big fan of the uh of the dns that that virginia tech signed i think uh, matthias carroll and cole nelson are going to be big time players for the Hokies in the future uh, i'm not sure they'll get a whole lot of reps year one um mm-hmm. you know i think that uh they could be in that maybe a similar situation like a robert wooten they get some reps here and there but maybe not a whole lot of them uh, maybe they stay under that four-game rule for the redshirt year. Uh, but I do think that in the future, I think those are two big-time players that Virginia Tech got on the D-line. And since we're talking about some of the guys that are coming in, let's pivot a little bit to 22 here. Uh, gained a commitment with Devin Farrell today out of Atlanta. Um, what type of player are we getting with him? I know it's still kind of early, and this one kind of came a little bit um, under the radar in terms of the the announcement. You know, he's he's a little bit play style like uh, uh, Demetrius Davis. He's not the biggest guy in the world between six foot and six one, but he's really, really slippery. He's got a good good arm. I won't say he's got a great arm. He's got a good arm. He can make most of the throws. You know, one thing I really like about him is when he when something breaks down, when he has to run, he keeps his eyes up. He he looks down the field for a play downfield first as he's as he's running now he'll he'll tuck it and he'll go i mean he's a guy that's got some 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 shiftiness and he's got some speed but he wants to make a play with his arm and i think that's really uh, i think that's a really positive trait for him he's also a dual sport guy he's got basket he got two basketball scholarships um and he is the starting point guard on the number one team in the state uh you know in the basketball team i think they were number 10 nationally uh, last year, and he was a starting point guard. So he's really, really versatile, uh, and he's just a really good athlete. You know, I talked to I talked with his coaching staff throughout uh, the morning this morning, and they the 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 biggest takeaways that I got from them is he's kind of a film junkie. He's a guy that wants to get better and wants to improve, and he's not, you know, he's not one of those guys that's not that's going to say, hey, I'm not going to stay late, break down this film. Or I'm not going to go get those extra reps. He's a guy that's going to be first one in the building, last one out, uh, last one off the field, and just a guy that the team can kind of rally around. So I think, I think it was a really good, 
opening commitment for the Hokies. Doesn't hurt that Virginia Tech has offered two of his offensive linemen as well. Uh, so you know maybe maybe they can do, like try that. to do a uh, maybe they can try to do a package deal there. But you know he plays good good competition down there, and he's put up some numbers. Yeah, I, you you look at you know is he going to be a six foot four, two hundred and forty pound quarterback? Probably not. But you know he doesn't have to be. If he's you know six one two twenty, I think he can be just fine. Um, you know I think he can run the offense well. He looks like he can uh, run the RPO well. He can. He, he seems like he's a quick decision maker. He's above all else. He's just a really really good athlete. Uh, so I think Virginia Tech did well here. Now you know can they keep him if if SEC schools start calling for him? I don't know. But you know for for day one of his commitment, uh, he's mm-hmm. he's locked in really solid hearing a lot of good things about him. Um, and I think he's fired up to be a Hokie, and the, the Virginia Tech staff is really excited to have him. It's good to hear. I also like what you talk about. He said he was All-State point guard. Anytime I think about a point guard in basketball, it's an immediate leader, understanding distribution, understanding getting people in the right spots. So maybe that athlete can go off the end. He can strictly be a quarterback. But, Evan, I also want to ask for this cycle, give us a couple names. Give us a couple key targets that to make this seemingly a successful class, the Hokies need to land. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think Virginia Tech needs to focus completely in the state of Virginia first. There's a lot of talent in the state of Virginia right now. Um, you know, you can look at guys like obviously there's Gunnar Givens out of Lord Botetot, one of the top tackles in the country. Uh, Virginia Tech is definitely in the mix for him. You know, you got guys like George Petaway, Ramon Brown in the state of Virginia. I think those guys uh, are both at least speaking with Virginia Tech and have some some sort of interest in them. Um, you know, you look at guys like Isaiah Montgomery out of uh, out of Lanstown. He's a guy that's a moderately ranked guy, but I think he's a big time offensive tackle. Uh, you know, really looking at his his possible projection at the next level, I think he's got a lot of talent. Um, you know, Bryson Jennings, dad played at Virginia Tech, played with J.C. Price. I think you ha- don't want to overlook that connection. He's go. a four-star guy out of Clover Hill. Um, you know, Rashad Purnell, another one of the guys from Highland Springs. Kyrie Moiston, you can get him out of Kings Fork. I think Virginia Tech can actually do really well in the state of Virginia next year. Um, you know, I think I forgot uh, Sherrod Koval and Tyler Banks. I like yeah. both of them for the Hokies. They both have ties. Both seem to really like the Virginia Tech defense, and both are really, really talented football players. So, uh, you know, I think, I think Virginia Tech really should take, uh, you know, take the twenty twenty one foundation that they set in the state of Virginia and try to build upon that, and and really try to take advantage of an up year in talent in twenty twenty one and try to rebuild that roster with Virginia guys. Virginia Tech has always been at their best when the roster is is littered with those guys that are homegrown. So I think they should continue to try and mine this in-state talent. Absolutely. Let me ask this. We discussed it on last week's episode. How big do you think it was getting the preferred walk-on offers to guys like Jabari Parker, um, the kid out of Deep Run, the kid out of Manchester here in the RVA? How big is that, that some of those kids had legitimate you know, FCS, FBS offers, and our staff convinced them to say, no, walk on here. How big is that at building the inroads in-state? 
You know, I think first and foremost that the, a lot of those guys are going to be guys that I could see earning scholarships in the future. I think those are good football players. But ad- additionally, those guys are guys from within the state of Virginia that you need to have building connections. You know, you can get a walk-on from Highland Springs that cannot hurt you, that can only help you. You know, a lot of a, a lot of uh, recruiting that's not done by the coaching staff is done by the players is done by the recruits. If you can keep some guys happy and you can, uh, you know, you can have them recruit their friends to come join you in Blacksburg, you know, that can only help. I think Virginia tech and I could do, I could do hours on the Virginia tech and, (laughs) and why they need to be spent, why they need to get back into Highland Springs. Um, I could do hours on that, but you know, that's a school you have to get in on. That's a school that has everything going your way to 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 be able to build a pipeline, yep. and they 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 just aren't doing it. So you know, being able to get you know a guy like Jabari Parker cannot hurt. Can they you know do they want to follow that up and uh, and pick up Rashad Purnell in the next year's class? He's already high on the Hokies. Do you take yep. him as a as a defensive lineman and continue to build that connection? Obviously, uh, you know the the. The Highland Springs staff has ties to Virginia Tech through and through. Adding J.C. Price in there, I mean, he he he's got more ties to the Highland Springs staff as well. So it has to break. Wait, they yeah. have to be able to break into that school uh, to continue to try and be successful. I think that's one of the best schools in the in the state. Might be one of the best talent producing schools in the country. And Virginia Tech really, at the end of the day, they need to get it done. Uh, at Highland Springs, and I think uh, you know Jabari Parker can be a can be a help in a step in the right direction there. Awesome, I like that. So, uh, Evan, we're going to close out with kind of a fun question here for you. So, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, EA let us know they're bringing back college football, make the new game. It's coming out sometime in the next few years. What is one thing that wasn't in NCAA fourteen that has to be in the new game? I don't even know it was in NCAA 14 because I, I, I didn't even, I didn't even have it then. Um, I know back when I was like in, in high school and playing it, you would, uh, you could have like your dynasty mode and you could do your recruiting and things like that. I'm going to say they need to put the transfer portal in. Okay. You know, you, yeah. you got to have a way to, to open up some scholarships. And I mean, I might be cut, cutthroat there. If you're my third string punter, you're gone. I'm trying to find somebody else. So, <laughs> you know, if I can be ruthless and be cutthroat through the transfer portal, I'm all in. So, yeah, let's throw the transfer portal in there. Evan Waltz, an option where you have three ways to kick a guy off your team. <laughs> I'm cutting you because you're not a good player. You had a DUI charge or something like that. Or <laughs> your grades bad. Put you in the portal. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no matter – no matter what, I want to be able to. I want to. I want it to be a single point of failure where I can go in and say, you know what, I'm done. Yeah, I'm done with you. You're out. It's <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. Well, well, Evan, um, we really appreciate you joining us um, here today, and you know, going through all these things and talking about it. You know, we follow you on Twitter, um, and again, we really appreciate you joining us. And that's going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Hokies.